We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience presented by DraftKings 2022 part two of the fantasy football running back rankings by tiers you missed part one easy fix hit the description boom you got the link to part one i'll recap it here in a second as well the entire pme fantasy football 2022 draft kit is completely free down in the description as well i just did a show on tuesday with dr jesse morris as we went player by player of the most likely to either come into the season injured we know who those people are or to re-injure themselves high risk factor rankings for injuries one of the better informational shows of the year so i highly suggest you go check that out smash the like button to the episode and join runthesims.com you want to make projections you want to make custom projections it's easy at runthesims.com you can do that for free just put in your email sign up for an account and boom you're in now if you want the dfs optimizer the weekly projections or any of the betting tools it's going to cost you some cash the early bird special is on right now but if you go to runthesims.com slash mayo you can get 10 percent off that already reduced price so you might as well get in now before you miss out. All right. Sub to Mayo Media Network. Jake Seeley from theathletic.com is on the line. We're back for part two. It's been like two weeks since we did part one. I know. That's what happens with this time of year with travel and a million other things going on and COVID for the girlfriend mixed in there. So, yeah, it's, it's been an interesting two weeks. So, let's recap what we talked about in part one, tier one. You went against me here, but I, I am still not feeling super comfortable about it. But Christian McCaffrey and Jonathan Taylor, one, two. Derrick Henry, number three. Najee Harris, Austin Eckler. That is tier two, three, four, five. Then, I mean, we can talk about Leonard Fournette here in a second. Leonard Fournette, Dalvin <laughs> Cook, Joe Mixon, Cam Akers, Saquon Barkley. I'm no longer feeling as good about Leonard Fournette or Cam Akers at this point uh, when it comes down to it. Leonard Fournette gained like 700 pounds in the offseason, apparently. Are, are you concerned about this? Because, frankly, I don't think that we should be. 
I'm not concerned at all at this point of the offseason. Now, if we get to the middle of August and he's still overweight by 20 pounds or whatever they're trying to say he is, and he looks slow, that's the biggest thing. We did this with Eddie Lacy back in the day, too. And granted, Eddie Lacy towards the end, like, really kind of fell off. But we've done this with multiple running backs, so they show up out of shape. It's just the it's the complete inverse of the overreaction where everybody's the best shape of their lives. Everybody throws out best shape of their lives. But when somebody shows up a few pounds overweight because they've been taking it easy in the offseason, all of a sudden, you know, pay, people panic again. So not concerned as of today. Leonard Fournette. It's never supposed to be like, oh, my God, he's breaking 80 tackles from his elusiveness. Like, that was never Leonard Fournette anyway. No, and as long as he is still the goal line back in Tampa Bay, he's going to score mucho touchdowns. So that would be very beneficial exactly. as I check. Yeah, apparently in fantasy football, that does mean a lot. So I guess we're going to have to <laughs> stick with that for the moment. The Cam Akers stuff, it's more of an injury thing where, especially after talking to uh, Dr. Morse about it, I'm just going to bump him down the spot. I'm going to put Saquon ahead of him. He's still going to be the bottom of my tier three, and that's where we ended up at the end of last show. So we're on to tier four of running backs. And how we want to draft these guys. I got a big tier of them, and I'm just going to list you some names. This is not the order. Obviously, we're going to place them into order. David Montgomery, DeAndre Swift, Nick Chubb, Aaron Jones, Alvin Kamara, Javante Williams, James Conner, Ezekiel Elliott, Antonio Gibson, Brees Hall, J.K. Dobbins, Josh Jacobs, Travis Etchen, Elijah Mitchell, A.J. Dillon, Miles Sanders. We're probably past the point of whatever this tier is supposed to be at this moment. But how do we kick off the next tier? Because I feel like I'm higher on Aaron Jones than you are. Not by much. I have Aaron Jones at 15. And it really what it comes down to is people play up the narrative of, you know, no, look what he did with no Devontae Adams. Yeah, and it's no Devontae Adams. And how many times do we talk about this back midseason, like in games, like when somebody goes down, it's like, look at what happened in the second half or the very next game. And a lot of times it's, well, you know, defenses make adjustments for how teams play and how team players are used. It's not as egregious as baseball, but before everybody tunes out, it's it's a comparison to be made here. It's like when you know pitchers come into the league for the first time and they don't have a book on them or hitters and vice versa. And then there's that adjustment and then it comes back around. The NFL does the same thing. It's just a little quicker that we see in the NFL. So I'm saying I'm not putting too much weight into what Aaron Jones did with Devontae Adams. Just like I'm not saying we've seen the games with Aaron Rodgers and no Devontae Adams. And that means Aaron Rodgers is going to be exactly as he good was last year with no Devontae Adams for the entire season. I think that'd be foolish to do either of those things. My biggest concern for Aaron Jones has always been my biggest concern for Aaron Jones. Some years I've been right. Some years I've been wrong. But that's why it's the touchdown variance because he splits so much of that backfield that he's touchdown reliant. He's not that much different from Leonard Fournette and Damian Harris and Ezekiel Elliott, except he sees a lot more passing game work and he's a very talented running back. It's just the touchdown reliance is there. Now, could he see more work in the passing game with no Devontae Adams? Absolutely. But I think 15 is a fair spot. I don't get, I still don't get why people want to put him inside the top 10 because even that year that he finished inside the top five, it was all because of the volume of touchdowns, just like we're talking about with James Conner and Zeke Elliott, and nobody wants to put them up there. No, buddy, I do have him projected inside the top 10 this year in terms of targets. So he is going to do more in the receiving game than those guys are going to do, which help you build a little bit of a floor. Then if you get the good touchdown variance and he scores a bunch, all of a sudden you're looking at a potential top five guy. If I put him at the top of this tier, he would be number 11 in the running back rankings. But as I mentioned, some of the other names we have here, can you make the case for DeAndre Swift as better? Nick Chubb, it feels like we're now getting to a point where Nick Chubb isn't necessarily a value, but he's properly priced where he needs to be. He'd been being drafted as running back, you know, as high as five, as low as nine over the past few years. And he doesn't have 
the receiving game floor to get him through bad weeks. That's, and I mean, a lot of what you just said about Aaron Jones too, is that he's going to produce you bad weeks. And that's not what you want from your, you know, RB one when you're drafting your teams, but he does enough such high upside type of things. And obviously in PPR, he is less valuable than he would be in standard leagues. Although PPR and even half point PPR, far more prevalent now uh, over yes. standard leagues than they have been at any point over the past 10 years. So we should be talking about half point PPR and PPR scoring. Would you go Jones or Chubb? I would go Chubb barely. I, and that's in half point PPR. Uh, you mentioned Swift. We talked about him in the last show. I have Swift inside my top 10. So he's even before we get to Chubb and Aaron Jones. Chubb's, Chubb's situation with Aaron Jones, if you're going back, like they're very close for me. Chubb is, you just mentioned the floor guy, like even in his down weeks, his six, seven, eight points, he doesn't get a lot of two or threes mixed in there, whether it's non PPR or full point PPR, he still sees the workload every single week, but you mentioned it because of the lack of the passing game work, he's a little bit more likely to hit that floor than Aaron Jones is. So if I'm going for the upside of the top five, yeah, I would say Aaron Jones, in my opinion, somebody just spoke against Aaron Jones definitively more likely to hit top five than Nick Chubb is because Nick Chubb, we've kind of already seen his ceiling. You said he's kind of getting downplayed this entire off year by fantasy community. I'll put that in quotes. And he's like, it's rightfully so because he's just that bottom end RB one every single year, which is great. And it's great for consistency, but he's just going to be there. He's going to be there all the time because he's just not going to see that passing game work. So I'm okay with Nick Chubb. And to be honest with you, depending on how this plays out quarterback wise, as we've discussed before, I'm not that concerned about Amari Cooper. I know we're not talking about wide receivers, but I do have a little bit concern of the scoring potential for the offense, which would trickle down to Nick Chubb if it's Jacoby Brissett for the entire season. And then in that case, I would take Aaron Jones over Nick Chubb. I'm going to keep Jones ahead of Chubb at the moment. I, we did talk about Swift, but I didn't come to any sort of definite conclusion about where I wanted to place him in these rankings. He's another one where, I mean, even probably more so than Aaron Jones, he probably has a bit more volatility week to week, but we know what those peaks are going to be uh, as long as he can remain getting his five to nine targets per game. That's always going to be a right. very good week for DeAndre Swift. It's just how Dan Campbell coaches this offense where it just, it really does feel, I mean, the numbers back it up as well, that sometimes when you look at snap counts or overall touches, I mean, DeAndre Swift will have 30 touches in one game. Then next week he has like seven. Like, I, I don't know if, they know what they're doing, and that that worries me with Detroit. And I think that's part of the, you know, I've talked about on my podcast, and again, we're not talking wide receivers in other positions. I'm talking about Jared Goff's effect on Amon Ross St. Brown and Williams once Williams is on the field, which might be week one, might be towards the end of September, whatever it might be. TJ Hawkinson, how he fits into the mix. And, like, I think it's not just Jared Goff. It's the stink of what you just said. It's the stink of the Lions and what Campbell does and what this offense has done for years. I think DeAndre Swift is one of the, I'd say he's in Aaron Jones territory for me because those down weeks are similar to Aaron Jones. And you mentioned a lot of, I think people forget Aaron Jones has a lot of like two, three touchdown games that offset his two and three point games. And maybe not that low, maybe, you know, a little bit of exaggeration there. But the point being is that Aaron Jones is, is he's almost kind of like Deshaun Jackson back in Deshaun Jackson's prime for running backs. DeAndre Swift is very much in that similar mold. And now you're just coming down to DeAndre Swift versus Aaron Jones, which people will argue for Aaron Jones because he plays for the Packers. But I argue for DeAndre Swift because when given the opportunity last year, as much as Dan Campbell doesn't do the best with this offense, and this offense is not going to be the Packers, DeAndre Swift, as you just mentioned, he was inside the top three target-wise for running backs. And the share that he saw, I think, was either one or two when he was out there. 
he saw that workload consistently. Is he going to get 20 carries? No, but he's going to get 20 touches almost every single week. Yeah, and in that case, I'm going to take the running back with that upside because I'd rather take the touches than try to bank on, okay, he's going to score twice as many touchdowns on the ground. Granted, he should. Aaron Jones should with the Packers, but I'm just going to take those touches with Swift. The big thing is, is are the touches most definitely going to come? And that's where I worry about it, just even looking at the depth chart. I mean, the fact that I recognize the name of the fifth string running back on the Lions because <laughs> he was just randomly used last year. That is the more concern with me. Like, I know that Aaron Jones is in a split situation with A.J. Dillon, and they can both be productive fantasy players in that situation. It doesn't seem like there's a third guy who's going to come in and take away carries. But, like, between Jamal Williams, when he's not hurt, they really did seem to prefer him out there in pass-blocking situations. That was sort of the narrative, and it played out onto the field the first few weeks of the year, and then everyone just started getting hurt. Then you have, like, Craig Reynolds. I don't even know if he'll end up being on the team. But the fact that I know his name is bad news for DeAndre Swift. See, I take it the opposite. I think the fact that, you you know, we talk about other systems and other teams, and they're like, it's Shanahan, he can make any running back good. And, you know, we know the names of the fifth running back in San Francisco because Shanahan makes them all good, and he just has a magic wand uh, when it comes to running backs. I take this as look at the depth chart and look at the players that were productive last year, and let's be realistic about those players that were productive for the Lions. I'm not saying they're Shanahan-level running backs. I'm not saying they're starter-level running backs. I'm saying I think we might be underestimating the Lions' ability to have a productive run game no matter who's in there. And when we saw Swift in there, Swift was clearly superior to all the other running backs. But the fact that there wasn't a huge drop-off with these other also-rans in the NFL that on most teams are not even, like they're out there on the practice squad. Actually, one of them came off the Lions practice squad. I think that's a testament to like, hey, maybe this offense is a little bit better than people want to give it credit for because they just see Lions and like, oh, they stink. I think it's a testament to the fact that the run game is going to work. And then what we saw was Swift out there. I'm just, I'm sold on it. I think I'll even say, forget Aaron Jones, the comparison I made for breakout running backs this year for DeAndre Swift. And I know he's already started to break out a little bit. But I said, I think he's Austin Heckler. I really do. I think you're going to see 13, 14 carries a week, five, six, seven targets, and he's going to have top five potential even on the, the Lions. It worried me down the stretch last year that when Jamal Williams, I mean, after Swift came back and he was fully healthy again, then Jamal Williams was fully healthy again. In all the games that they were healthy together, Jamal Williams had just had simply had more carries than he did. And sometimes it was by a pretty substantial margin that I just, I don't know why that's a thing. Like, that's the part that I can't wrap my mind around. If you were presented with these options anyway, and it's not like a Melvin Gordon, Javante Williams situation where Williams was a rookie, get in, learn the offense, where are we going? Nowhere, really. And I get that the Lions weren't really going anywhere either, but, like, why Jamal Williams? <laughs> because he's solid. That's the really only... Sure, but DeAndre Swift in our minds... Is, but in our minds, DeAndre Swift is good. Well, oh, of course. Oh, he's exceptional in my mind it really comes down to you know coaches we've done this before with other running backs and other situations and I always bring up Lamar Miller and in that case the Miami Dolphins were right everybody wanted more touches for Lamar Miller and then he got more touches and wasn't as good wasn't as effective uh, so I don't think that's the case with DeAndre Swift nothing you're saying is wrong nothing like this is the downside of DeAndre Swift the downside of DeAndre Swift is it's a complete committee for the entire year or even a 50-50 split with Jamal Williams. And because it's the Lions offense and everything we just said, and if you told me, two hundred, let's say 230 touches for Aaron Jones, 230 touches for DeAndre Swift, I'm going to take Aaron Jones. But 
what it comes down to is I think we saw the makings of what it could be with DeAndre Swift getting to like 280. Now, again, you could be right. The What we've seen from this offense could happen, and that's the downside. DeAndre Swift is very close to Aaron Jones for me. It's Swift, Chubb, Jones, very close. I already said that I would drop Jones or Chubb behind Jones if it's Jacoby Brissett for the entire year. And if you want to take Aaron Jones over DeAndre Swift, I'm not going to call you crazy. Well, because no, Colin, touches, no if, Colin Pat crazy because I'm going Aaron Jones, DeAndre Swift. That's how I'm okay, doing it. There you go. I, I, I have no problem with it because, again, if, if my projections – and like you can do them on Run the Sims, and you can do them with mine too. You can take my projections and go to the Detroit Lions and say, "Nope, Jake, you are wrong. DeAndre Swift is not getting this kind of workload. Jamal Williams is going to take this percentage." Same thing. You can see the result afterwards, and I guarantee you, if you gave them equal touches, DeAndre Swift was full behind Aaron Jones. Yes, just based off the touchdown equity that comes along with Aaron right. Jones. Right. And that that's pretty simple. I'm looking at our projections right now, like the standardized projections have Swift above by two points in half point PPR. But you have to remember that season long projections tend to play more to the median of what is going to happen. And they don't really consider the bottom 10, high 10, bottom 20, high 20 type outcomes. It's what is the most likely occurrence to happen in the middle. That's the projection. Not, it doesn't really factor in the upside downside part of this either. That's why we do the rankings and not just run projections. A hundred percent. And that's why for mine, as well as I'm assuming yours, like, I have my rankings by projections. If you just want to sort them purely by points. And then I have my rankings, which don't sort like they're, they're completely different sorted. So Aaron Jones, DeAndre Swift, they'll be number one and two of the next tier. We talked about Nick Chubb. Let's throw some other names out here that could be potentially a part of this tier. David Montgomery, not getting a whole lot of love. <laughs> and I think that's this, uh, everything we just talked about is why. Because the offense you have an offense that's similar to the Ravens, which I keep mentioning for like as a quick sidebar point here is remember when you're going through projections and then like teams like the Ravens and now the 49ers and the Bears, like when you're talking about that backfield, and you're like, oh, he'll get 50 percent of the backfield. That's not your typical 50 percent because you got to take 25 percent away for the quarterback running as much as he's going to. So you can't get basically you can't with the quarterback get 110 percent of rushing opportunities for a team. So you're already taking some of that away. The other part of it is I think this backfield is going to be a little bit more split. I don't think it's going to be the Broncos. And if I'm wrong, again, David Montgomery should be higher. But I think you're going to see a little bit more Herbert this year because we saw how good Herbert was. And I'm a fan of Khalil Herbert, so maybe I'm a little slanted in my opinion here. But I think Khalil Herbert showed that he has plenty of upside when there is no David Montgomery. And why run any running back? And I'm talking about all 32 teams. I don't care if it's Christian McCaffrey, and I don't care if your starting running back is James Conner. Why are you going to run somebody into the ground if the talent difference isn't that large? I Would I take David Montgomery over Herbert? Yeah, but not by much. So could we see 55-45? Could we see a full-on Broncos? And I think you couple that with the Bears offense and how many touchdown opportunities are either running, even if David Montgomery got 300 touches, how many touchdown opportunities he's going to have. I think that's why he's getting knocked lower. And I think deservedly so. I think he's in the same conversation as other players like him. Like honestly, David Montgomery for me, Javante Williams on a worse team. I don't think the split is going to be that pronounced. That doesn't mean I wouldn't put Javante Williams ahead of David Montgomery. Cause we'll talk about him in a second. And I do agree that Khalil Herbert's probably a better pick than David Montgomery. 
in terms of where he's yeah. going. Right now in DraftKings best ball, he's going to pick 165. He is free, essentially. And we know <laughs> what the role is for him should anything happen to David Montgomery. It's very There are very few linear tracks you can make for a guy taking over 70-plus percent of a team's backfield snaps. Cole Herbert is on that very short list. I just I don't see why they're necessarily changing everything in Chicago, getting away from David Montgomery. It just whenever he is playing and he is healthy, he's the one who's out there. I think it comes down because Dave Montgomery is just, he's good. He's above average good. I just don't think he's exceptional. And while what you said is I don't think it'll split me that, that pronounced. I don't think it's going to be last year's Broncos where it's 50-50. I'm talking what we're projecting for this year's Broncos where it's more 55-60% for the lead. But that second piece has seen a large sh- the Cowboys, like you're going to get a lot of Tony Pollard opportunities. Like I could see Khalil Herbert finishing the season with 120 and 140 touches, which that means David Montgomery goes from high 200s to low 200s because of this offense. And then the Justin Fields factor. So, and I mean the Justin Fields rushing factor. If I'm wrong and you think it's 70, 30 and it's going to be 70, 30, David Montgomery should be in this conversation and probably top 15 conversation, but it comes down to how you feel this backfield is going to go. I think they saw enough and saw that the split could work for them. Could be wrong. And this will be worth minor. This is why we trust some of the updates from camp and stuff like that is you find out week three that I'm right. Or you find out week three, I'm wrong. And then you make the adjustment. So as of right now, Herbert's an immense value, but her, I mean, honestly, Montgomery's a value right now. Cause you just mentioned it. Cause he's so far down draft boards that if I'm wrong, I'm drafting David Montgomery too. Even with the fact of my assumption, because where he is, you're almost you're getting him almost at his floor. You're getting him in my scenario. And then if my scenario is even off by 5%, you're getting a return on investment. So like looking at, there's not really much of a track record that we can point to with Matt Ethis pitch, who is the new head coach of the Chicago bears. I mean, he's a defensive guy. <laughs> I so, like he, that one. <laughs> so, so he brings in uh Lute Getze, who was the quarterback's coach and quarterback coordinator for Aaron Rodgers. I don't necessarily know if that means he's going to bring in like the Packers backfield and the split just happens. They might just kind of roll out with what they have. And if you do have Justin Fields, who took an immense amount of hits last season, and not just from like running around, he just was getting absolutely annihilated behind that defensive line. There's probably something to having David Montgomery out there to help with the protection. And that could be part of it, too. That offensive line is definitively the worst in the league. I mean, they just have somebody. You know, Jenkins already got moved to the second unit, which whether or not that stink, sticks. But I, I, it's one of those chicken of the egg arguments I saw somebody post on Twitter. Is it like, are they really drafting this poorly? Or do the Bears just not know how to develop and you know produce offensive linemen? So whatever it can be, uh, I think Sharp Football even ranked the Bears as dead last in the offensive line. So there's going to be a lot of hits either way. And if that's part of the equation... You know, David Montgomery could be out there even more. But I will say this, Pat. I did an article, and then today is now wide receivers and tight ends. For fantasy correlation, for the percentage of pass plays that you're on the field, is, is, is it's .011. Zero correlation for players. I'm not saying that you're not right, because plays is a huge opportunity. So just because you're out there on passing plays doesn't mean you're necessarily getting touches, even though you're out there for those. So very low correlation for that, but the play number is exceptionally high in correlation. So 
where you're right. If he's not out there for third down, that being Herbert doesn't get any of those opportunities. He won't get more plays, but just being out there. I just wanted to make that for everybody out there. Just being out there on a pass play doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a better fantasy player. Oh, no, I completely agree with that. But you also have to remember the offense that we're running here is that they're trying to disguise right. passing plays and trying to run RPOs. There is a lot of value to being on really hard to score fantasy points from the bench, as I've heard. Unless you're Ben Roethlisberger <laughs> of or Shaq in that first episode of Shaq versus where Shaq was allowed to pick it off six by just being on the sidelines. Now, I don't know how they would have scored that officially, but I mean, that's Shaq versus fantasy, Jake. That's so long ago. Uh, that is a, I don't, I think you might have like 10% of your audience that remembers that. How long ago? When was Shaq versus? Was that like 2011? Oh, I was going to go earlier than that. So I, I could be wrong. I was thinking like 2008. Two, two, 2009 it came out ah oh, off by one year i win and i stayed under prices righted you yeah we don't do that on this show you have to go over anything under is, is a loss on the pat mayo experience prices right sorry, oh, I, sorry <laughs> I win in your face so it sounds like the way that you talk about david montgomery he should kind of be back to back with ezekiel elliott mm. but it depends on where you have ezekiel elliott I, I know, I know, but, but like, the way that you the way that you just described him. Now, I happen to think a little bit higher of David Montgomery than you do, and what his potential playing share is versus Herbert this year, at least while he's mm -hmm. healthy. But the way that you've described him is exactly how I would describe Ezekiel Elliott. Yes, and I legitimately do have them back to back. I have Ezekiel Elliott one spot in front of David Montgomery, but they are behind Etienne Gibson Jones. Hall, well, why, why, Jacob, hold like, on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Why is Gibson any different than those two? So Gibson, because of his workload, is... I, I, well, so, okay, are we going to go down the entire Gibson route? Do you want to do that? I, I didn't know how long you wanted my answer to be. Are we talking Gibson in yeah, full here? Yeah, yeah well, well, let's pivot. Okay. To, let's pivot. I'm, I'm building the next tier of ranks as we're talking through these guys, so we don't have to circle back to them when we talk about the next tier. Okay, so Gibson last year with you know, J.D. McKissick, we've talked about this, and we talked about it during the season last year. Role didn't change. We all want Gibson to be used more in the passing game, but it didn't. And yet, even with that very little passing game work, about 300 touches. He was top five or six in touches last year. And he was one of the only people. Like, what, what was his final carry total? I want to say he was one of the only like handful of guys who got even close to or 250 carries. Yeah, 250. He was 258 and 42 receptions last year, which put him at, boom, right there you go, 300 touches. It was like a handful of running backs that got the 300 touches. That's with no J.D. McKissick. Now, does that potentially come down a little bit in the passing game with a full season of McKissick and he's only got 30 receptions? Sure. But if everything about Gibson holds, which now I'm going to get to why that's a concern in a second, but if everything holds – Gibson is still in the conversation talent-wise and what we've seen from him in production with Heineke running that offense, who isn't necessarily a downgrade from Wentz fantasy-wise outside of his touchdowns, but for real life, I think Wentz is going to make the offense better. Gibson should hold, and Gibson was just an RB1. The downside for Gibson, where I'll say, is not even related to McKissick. It's the Brian Rob Robinson drafting, and if these reports that they're concerned about Gibson at the goal line because of his fumbles and because of his inconsistency – now is turning into a, a timeshare. But I think Gibson talent should hold off. And that's, again, this is now where you come into how do you feel about this backfield? Do you feel like Gibson's going to get his 250 carries again? Then he doesn't fall into this conversation because we're talking about low 200 carries. If you think Brian Robinson's a significant threat, which could happen, then yes, you are right. Gibson should be in this same conversation. Here's the thing. 
I have Antonio Gibson projected right now. RunTheSims.com. You can go use it. You can change around any of these exposures completely free. Uh, I highly recommend that you go do that to give yourself and try to piece through some of these backfields to see what it would look like if this person got all the carries. What does that look like? If they do worse than you might think, what does that look like? So right now I am at 54% of the market share of rushing attempts on the Washington footballs. No, they're the commanders now. They're, they're no longer the footballs. That's yes. Gonna, that's going to be an adjustment to me. They're no longer the, the what the fucks <laughs> when I see the acronym written. <laughs> the dyslexic what the fucks, I suppose, is what we should call them. Either way, 54% of the market share of rushing attempts. J.D. McKissick, 13%. Brian Robinson, 13%. Jared Patterson, 4%. Wentz, 10%. Um, that's probably a bit too high. Sam Howell, 1%. Like when you're doing projections, you kind of have to allocate whatever. But 54 yeah. is the key number here. More than everyone else on the team combined. For Antonio Gibson, a touchdown market share of rushing touchdowns at 60%. That's probably high, right? Mm, no, that's, I mean, your numbers, I have 57% of the rushing share and very similar touchdown share. So I'm, I'm very close to you just because for the rushing share for everybody else, I mean, McKissick, I don't even have, which with the percentages, I don't even have McKissick getting to two rushing touchdowns. I have Robert Robinson for two, Carson Wentz for one, and that's it. That's the thing is, this, if, if this offense is similar to last year, too, and, you know, again, the passing game should see the uptick. The running game is very solid. Is He's going to be the touchdown share unless what I brought up already. If they have concerns about that goal line and all of a sudden Brian Robinson gets six rushing touchdowns and Gibson falls to five or six and splits that opportunity completely. So when you say is that number too high, no, unless the reports are true and they are legitimately concerned. And this becomes the issue. Even with all of those numbers, which I have in, which I just told you, that makes him running back number 21 because he does basically nothing in the passing game. He's like bad Nick Chubb. So, what do you have for the passing game share? Uh, I think it's like 6% of targets. I, his whole season would come out to 26 receptions on 33 targets for 184 yards and 1.3 touchdowns. And what did you have for rushing? How many carries and how many yards there? 143 rushing attempts for 980 yards and 12 touchdowns. Wait, 143 or 243? 243, sorry. <laughs> I was going to say, that's, that's a massive per carry. <laughs> He's the best running back in the history of football. Um, so this is where we come down. This is the, So this is great. I love this because you do it on Run the Sims. I do it with my projections for the last two years because that little difference, I have them for a 7.2% target share, 57% rush share. That little bit of difference between us, we're talking about overall 4%. I have for 252 carries and 34 receptions and 45 targets. That's how easily he goes. And for me, that checks him in at RB16. That little bit of difference can drop him down to RB21. So I think this is a really good like example of just how small of a change in a backfield you can have a running back drop an entire half to a full tier. And I think that's why doing this in tiers is especially important because that little tick wouldn't move him out of a tier. It just means he's in the tier with all those guys that are right around him, which by projections include, I mean, run the Simpsons down on Barkley. I'm higher than Barkley. Barkley would be in that tier, but like Zeke, Cordero Patterson, Josh Jacobs, Elvin Kamara, not knowing what his suspension is, AJ Dillon, JK Dobbins, Elijah Mitchell, like that tier of running back is where he is right now situated. I would be higher on Montgomery than I am on Antonio Gibson, but would I take that the upside of Antonio Gibson is better than the upside of Zeke? I think I might. Yeah, I'm with you on that. But, I, but, I, but, I, but I do feel like I don't want either of those guys. So 
I, I think Gibson's going to be interesting to see because Gibson's downside we just laid out, but even Gibson's downside, like, is it going to be much more than what you have? You're, you are on the lower end, and I feel like I'm in the reasonable end. I think some people out there are still on the optimistic. Brian Robinson's a non-factor as a rookie, and this is just Antonio Gibson, J.D. McKissick, and Brian Robinson gets 5%, like a lot of third running backs get. And I think those are the people out there that are still champion for, you know, RB1 conversation. Antonio Gibson is going to still be great. Everybody's panicking too much. Shut the hell up, blah, blah, blah. And it seems to be the other camp is, no, this is worrisome, 50% at best. Like, get the hell away, like, blah. And there seems to be very little middle ground. Um, so what I was going to say is if this this narrative seems to be heading more, it seems more people are in the camp of panic time. Uh, even Ben Standig from The Athletic even talked about those goal line opportunities going away. I think the more you get that, I could see Gibson turning into a value. Now, I'm not saying definitely go get him at 15, 16, 17 or whatever, but if he starts to fall to like mid-20s and you have, like you said, 21, even if it gets to like 23, that feels like a worst-case scenario in my opinion. Like, I, I know you're asking me all the questions we do this show, and that's what we go. But I, to flip it back around to you to ask you a question for once here, Pat, is like, do you think his floor is anything worse than RB25 this year? No. Outside of injury. No, I don't. And when I was looking at like the value, when I said that I probably don't want either one of them, I completely forgot about ADPs when it came down to Zeke versus Gibson, because I think they're essentially the same guy this year going into drafts. And frankly, I kind of know what Zeke's role is. I don't think that he plays himself out of that. And in order to hit his like highest upside, it's still not even going to be that great. At least like you said, with Gibson, there's this unknown upside that we potentially have to go along with the floor and the floor isn't all that bad. It's probably the same as Zeke's as we go through it. Zeke is currently being drafted. DraftKings best ball pick number 37. Antonio Gibson pick number 68. Yeah. And you know who we haven't talked about that falls into this conversation Ooh, for me. Let me guess. I let would, me guess. Let me I guess. Would, let me guess. Let me guess. Let me guess. Let me guess. I don't know who. <laughs> I was gonna say, let me preface this before everybody loses their mind like I did when I did my show with Meanie. I'm not saying take him over any of these guys. I would take all of them, including Dave Montgomery, over him. But there is very little difference between Damian Harris and Ezekiel Elliott. And again, now look at the ADP, and that's why I say this. I would like if you told me straight up no ADP involved, I would take Zeke and then Gibson and then Damian Harris. But now when you involve ADP, screw Zeke at the three turn. I'm gonna wait those rounds and go grab Antonio Gibson and wait another round or two and then go get Damian Harris. And that's about what the separation is right now. Antonio Gibson pick number sixty nine, Damian Harris pick number seventy two. <laughs> and that's crazy to me. Like. Ramondre Stevenson did what Damian Harris did on more. Like, everybody rose-colored glasses his, his two great games. I mean, it took over 20 carries in both of them. And forget they, it's the worry of the Patriots. It's the worry. What, Damian Harris is, was rushing touchdown dependent, but he was still really good on his touchdowns. He's not – or touches. He's not going to get 300 touches. But I think everybody's just too panicked about the Patriots' backfield. Again, I'm not putting him inside my top 20. He's not there. I'm not taking him over those guys. Just at that ADP, I'm going to have a hell of a lot of Damian Harris because the upside – if James White isn't back to James White and Ramondre Stevenson just falls by the wayside and all of a sudden Damian Harris is kind of in a Lawrence Maroney and he gets a 260, 270 touches, he's going to be back inside the RB1 conversation again. There's only one running back between those guys currently being drafted. Do you know who that running back is? Between them? Yeah. Etienne? It is not Etienne. We'll get to him in a second. He's higher. Okay. Like Etienne's being okay. drafted higher. People like him. Uh, Elijah Mitchell? 
AJ Dillon. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, move him up the draft boards. Did you see him truck the mascot? He's no, amazing. I actually did not see that, but yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> you didn't see that? Completely knocked the head off of him too. Uh, yeah, the, I like AJ Dillon, but I feel like even at that price, like who's behind Damian Harris right now in ADP? Let's see. Clyde Edwards Alaire is the next guy who's relatively close uh, to Damian Harris. Miles Sanders, Tony Pollard, Rashad Penny, Devin yeah. Singletary. Yeah. Like it feels like the that he is like Damian Harris is the end of whatever tier is there. Yeah. In terms of I, AD, I, in, in terms AJ, of ADP in terms of ADP, but like he's in I think that he's closer like you to AJ Dillon and Antonio Gibson and Zeke than he is to Miles Sanders or Tony Pollard. Sure. I think AJ Dillon's getting boosted a little bit too much. Yeah, but uh, I because... I get it though cuz what what if we show up week 1 and Aaron Jones blows out his knee and we had to re-rank the running oh, backs of course. for the rest of like but that's baked into AJ Dillon is that upside. And like his floor is fine. Like he's you you could play AJ Dillon as your flex play or if you went completely wide receiver heavy or tight end heavy, he could be your running back too. It's not great, but it's not like a problem like it could be with other players on a week to week basis. Now you could flip that around four weeks into the season and be like, oh, this guy's a top three running back. Yeah, and I completely agree. My concern with A.J. Dillon is that we get close to D'Angelo Williams with the Steelers, is that chill out a little bit and let's not overrate uh, what should be one of the best backups for fantasy purposes, who does have some standalone value. Yeah, no, but, but, as you but just that, mentioned, you know, that's the difference, though. He does have standalone appeal depending on your team. It's not like Alexander Madison when he was being drafted too highly, being like, well, okay. if both these guys sure. are healthy, Madison actually does fuck all. Just like D'Angelo Williams, <laughs> where if Le'Veon Bell was healthy, Le'Veon Bell is going to get 90% of the touches, and we're not going to see you again until Le'Veon Bell gets hurt again or suspended again or whatever happens to him. That is not the situation in Green Bay. A.J. Dillon is a part of this offense regard Aaron Jones depend independent and if something happens to Aaron Jones you've just lucked yourself into the bonanza right well so here's where I'll go here's a better comparison and one that's actual for this year Melvin Cream Hunt I can see Melvin Gordon Cream Hunt Melvin Gordon too but even more so like if something happens to Nick Chubb Cream Hunt to the moon yeah but we, yeah, but, but we didn't see that that's the thing and maybe we're wrong about aj dylan in that context that they would just bring in someone else to let aj dylan you know increase but not too much because as we saw with kareem hunt there was like oh no we're just gonna use dearness johnson just as much and it never we thought it would become all kareem hunt and it never did become all kareem hunt but he led the way I think he, that's yeah, it, it flipped, but in in the scenario that I'm projecting out in my head for AJ Dillon, he goes from a guy. You who think gets, AJ Dillon gets like eighty percent? Yes. Okay. And then in that case, then yes, AJ Dillon should be in this tier. I think the hesitation for me is: is he really going to turn into that eighty percent, or is that that was a temporary? We don't really have much else to do right now. If he was down week one, I think it would be A.J. Dillon and somebody. I just, okay, but I just he, don't know if A.J. He, Dillon... Even, okay. if, even if I'm wrong on that, and we, we scale it back a little bit, I don't necessarily need him to get 80% of the touches. I need him to do what he's doing with a slight uptick like we saw from Kareem Hunt. What I need for him is to handle all the goal line touches in that circumstance, which I would be very confident in. Yeah, okay. And I will agree with you in that fashion. So, okay. You know, I mean, you've, it looked like you sold me on A.J. Dillon. Woohoo! 
And we kind of bypassed all the guys who need to be a part of tier four, which we originally we've, we've, we've basically <laughs> we built tier five as we've gone along. I gotta bump up Damian Harris here. Uh, is Kareem Hunt a part of that tier? Just very casually. Yeah, was, I would say at the lower end, just because everything we just laid out, or we is, talked about it. Or, or is he a part of, I mean, there's other guys that we could potentially throw into this tier or the tier above, but like he's a name. Like, would you rather have Kareem Hunt or Clyde Edwards-Alaire? I think I'd rather have Kareem Hunt. I'd rather have Edwards-Alaire. Really? But not by much. But he stinks. Like, like, look, he, he sucks. That's a problem. But that's why. So let's no, no, play but this like, out. Let's, like, talk. No, let's actually play it out. He plays 16 games. It's like, oh, yeah, he fucking sucks. No, what I was going to say, let's play it out from, we have a two-year sample. This is so, I, I talk about the perception all the time. It, it, you and I talk about this ad nauseum. I like to do my last year's trash article because people get pissed off and whatever. Clyde Edwards-Alaire is actually, like, crazy comparison here. He's actually similar to Baker Mayfield in the fact that people overrated the reality of him so unbelievably much that just being good make people say he sucks. Yeah, and, but there, you know, there, I, there, there is a bonus to this. Him being bad led to me being able to have Najee Harris at a value in every league last year, <laughs> and it really worked out well. Sure, and I'm with you too. It's because you know how I felt about Clyde Edwards-Alaire when they drafted him, and I was like, take him in the third round, and then we have the sit-out from that whole COVID situation, which we all know at the time, and then all of a sudden with no Damian, everybody's like, oh, first round. And I I was even saying, like, chill out. Let's, let's relax. He's not that great. Because it's going to be a split backfield for him at best. But is it split 50-50? Not at best. Best case scenario, and that's why I say let's talk through this. Best case scenario, Clyde Edwards-Alaire falls into like an Austin Eckler, maybe not quite as much passing game work, but falls into that 13 to 16 touches on average and necessarily doesn't need a lot of the goal line work. And that's the biggest concern with him because he sucks. That's where he does. He went one for seven that first game and then barely got any opportunities for the rest of the year because they're like, nope, you cannot run at the goal line. You stink. You got smashed three times in a row, six times in one game. You're done. Uh, so he's never going to be that guy. But can he be 13 to 16 passing game work in one of the best offenses in the league? And then Ronald Jones is a complimentary piece. Absolutely. And that's why I would take the upside of Clyde Edwards-Alaire because in that scenario, even with not 300 touches, maybe not even 260 touches, He's still going to be a solid RB2, not in the flex conversation. The downside is if he's the complimentary piece to Ronald Jones. I think we're, that, that's... We're, we are overlooking what I think is a very key piece to all of this was the re-signing of Jarek McKinnon and what that does to Clyde Edwards-Lair's passing game work because they preferred McKinnon at the end of last year. They did, but at the same time... How many times have you done McKinnon? It, but but I just, I, 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 I'm not too concerned about Jarek McKinnon, but I'm concerned about him. This isn't just a split. It's actually a three-way split. And now we're in just a pure... Okay. I, I just worry that... I think Clyde Edwards-Lair is going to have well, his here. games where he's a top 10 running back. But most weeks when you start him, you're never going to know which game it's going to be. And he can leave you with like zeros in your lineup. And I just, I don't want any part of that. Well, so here, I'll give you what I have. I only have him for 156 carries because I have Ronald Jones that involved. And I only have him for 37 receptions. Now, if you think that's high, but I don't think 37 receptions is that high. Okay, so, so, I, so, have him for, I, so I, I have him for 154 carries and 28 receptions. So we're off by nine receptions? Yeah, and that makes, so, him, and that makes him running back number 31 by projections, and I'm actually lower than him than that. Okay, so I check in at 28 right there neck and neck with A.J. Dillon. And I would just much rather have A.J. Dillon. Okay. I, I think... For that scenario, I'd rather have Clyde Edwards-Alaire because 
it, the, the upside is greater if we're significantly no, wrong. No, the upside isn't greater. Yeah. Because you know what the path is to the upside for A.J. Dillon. No, no, no. And, and, right, and, but and, that and involves what's, an injury. And, yeah, but what's the upside? And this has to involve injury, too. There's no way it's like, oh, yeah, you're the guy. Here are the keys. It's not happening. No. No, no, no. They, we don't have to involve injury because if we go back to it and Ronald Jones isn't like Ronald, like why is all of a sudden Ronald Jones the greatest running back to ever come I, to Kansas I, I City? I don't, I don't like, care. I don't care about Ronald Jones. I just care that he's going to play thirty percent of the snaps, and I care that Jarek is going to play. Point. But I care that Jarek no, is no. going to play fifteen to twenty percent because they will. No, because I have no problem with your Jarek. I my issue is with Ronald Jones. I even mentioned I have him for one hundred and forty carries right now. I have him that involved right now. If we're wrong about that, and Ronald Jones still stinks, even with the Chiefs, and the Chiefs are like, you stink, buddy. You're getting 12%. I don't need more passing game work for Clyde Edwards. That's my point. That's my point. I don't need more passing game work for Clyde Edwards-Alaire to have top 20 upside. All I need to have is Ronald Jones is not that involved, and it's Clyde Edwards-Alaire, Ronald Jones, and Jarek McKinnon, but Clyde Edwards-Alaire share being what I have it right now at 40% combined that's including the passing game work is 50% because Ronald Jones is only 15. That's where I'm, that's why I'm saying that's why I would take Edwards Alaire for that upside right there. You're right. If, if Aaron Jones goes down, I don't care if Edwards Alaire is getting 65%. It's going to be AJ Dillon, but that involves the injury. Mine situation is what I'm pointing out. It just involves the fact that Ronald Jones is just not any good. It's funny because even just on the projections that we just gave out, and that's the A.J. Dillon with Aaron Jones healthy. I still have A.J. Dillon projected for more points than Clyde Edwards-Alaire. <laughs> that, that's certainly fair, but it just really comes down to the, the workload. What happens – what do you have – why don't you have Ronald Jones rushing share for? 27%. Okay. Drop that to 15% and give that extra 12% to Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Tell me where Edwards-Alaire but, ends up. But I, I don't think it would actually work out that way because I think then Derek Gore would get those carries. But I, I will do this as a part of your exercise. That bumps yeah, him up to fifty-one percent. For no, it bumps him up okay. to forty. Let's see, forty-seven. Is that right? Forty-eight percent. Let's say. Oh, non. Okay. Oh, good. I got a good Excel error here. All right. So that bumps him up to forty-eight <laughs> percent. That now makes him running back twenty-nine. That's it. Yeah. You know why? Wow. Because there's just one problem, why? Jake. He's not any good. He's not any good. I knew you were going to do that. We do that on your show all the time. I'm curious. I'm curious where it, look, I'm going to do it in mine now and see what it's like. If I get, you said 49%? 48. 48? All right. Where's that put him in mind? For, it's 48. Touchdowns go up a little bit. That checks him in at RB19 for me. Okay. I think that's a pipe dream. <laughs> I do. Like, I, just, I want not- nothing to do with this guy. I and I'm not look. Hey, I'm not trying to say you need to be in on him. I just think the opportunity, if it's 49, percent which is not a massive share, is there. If I, Edwards Alaire is anything the talent that they thought he was coming out of college, then 49 percent is within the range of outcomes. And I don't disagree with AJ Dillon. It's just range of outcomes, and everybody's healthy on both teams. I think Edwards Alaire could bring you top 20 value. Again, not taking him there. He could, and that's the thing. He could bring you top twenty value if everything goes right. The difference between that and all the other guys that I think that we're talking about is that they could potentially return top five value if their ideal outcome hits. And I just don't see that being fair point. And I just don't see that being in any scenario. Oh no, Clyde Edwards. No, no, no. Edwards Alaire is not finishing top five. 
Derek Gore and Jarek McKinnon and Ronald Jones would all have to like blow out their knees in week one. And even and then, still they, might they, they, would, they, they would they would bring out somebody they would bring else. In, they would bring in other guys. <laughs> uh, like for example, like I, I would draft Tony Pollard over drafting Clyde Edwards-Helaire for a very much of the same idea of AJ. And uh, now you lost me. No, oh, come on. I mean, that's another path to a top five guy. Tony Pollard's had opportunities to be the guy and has performed well in a few instances, but there's been a lot of opportunities similar to what I'll make up the argument of Chase Edmonds, where the Dallas Cowboys have told us that even if Zeke was lost for the season. They don't really want Tony Pollard to be that kind of guy, and that's my concern with Tony Pollard. Sure, but what you need with Tony Pollard, you probably don't get that the you probably don't get the AJ Dillon upside that goes along with with no Aaron Jones. Let's say we remove Zeke from the situation. I don't know who they go to. Is it like uh, who was the guy they drafted last year? Free agent off the street, R- Rico, <laughs> Uncle Rico, to version two point oh, Rico Dowdle, yeah, yeah, on, on the I, Cowboys I think like, as of right now. What uh, Jaquan Hardy is another one who's on the team right now. Like one of these guys ends up stepping up, whoever it might be. But you get Tony Pollard going from like a 35% share of the rushes to that like 51%. Like, let's just say, because basically I haven't projected out very similarly to Clyde Edwards Alaire, but with a higher percentage of the receiving game in this scenario, but a lower percentage of the touchdowns. We just bump him up to 51% and we increase his touchdown share from like 15% to just 40%, which seems credible if there was no Zeke around. He goes to like running back number 13 really quickly. Like just where he stands right now, he's running back 26. Okay, so, but of the A.J. Dillon, Tony Pollard, Clyde Edwards, Alaire, if your roster makeup was to make one of these your RB2, would you still go that route? Yeah. Or I, this, I, would, I would want Dylan, okay. Dylan Pollard, Clyde Edwards, Lair. Okay. And, 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 and if all, and if all of the other guys, if that entire offense stayed healthy, the entire year, I could see a scenario where Clyde Edwards, Lair scores more points than those other two guys. But I don't think it's, right. I don't think it's a lot more. I think it's still very close. And you've basically just X'd out any upside that comes along with it. See, and that's where we differ a little bit. I think there is upside with Edwards, Lair, if. Like again, I just I don't think Ronald Jones is that good, and so that's where I'm going differently than for it. Tony Pollard would only be my you mm, would only be my RB three in okay. any scenario. Okay, so some more fun names to throw back into the mix here. Okay. Uh, so we went Aaron Jones, DeAndre Swift. We got that far. Uh, compiling tier number four. <laughs> And then we talked about Nick Chubb, and then we got into this next tier argument that features like David Montgomery, Ezekiel Elliott, Gibson, A.J. Dillon, Damian Harris. Now it sounds like we have like Pollard, Kareem Hunt, Clyde Edwards-Alaire on the tier below that. But there are names that still deserve to be in the Nick Chubb, DeAndre Swift, Aaron Jones tier. Yeah, we need to go back over. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, you want to cover uh, tier seven while we're at it real quick? (laughs) Hey, listen, I don't think it's crazy to build the other tiers as we're talking about some of these names. Or I mean, we got onto this because of David Montgomery and Ezekiel Elliott and Antonio Gibson, how those three names are very similar i think montgomery's better than zeke and gibson but not by a lot more i think that he could lead that tier i might even slot in like aj Dillon above gibson and uh ezekiel elliott based on how i want to have my drafts i'm not looking to come in fourth place i'm looking to come in first place and that's sort of a last or first type of pick uh where where you would have to draft him versus these other guys and i do want to make a point in my rankings that i don't want to have zeke very high because i don't want people to draft zeke i think that's stupid i would much rather have Pollard mm-hmm. than zeke this year based on the cost i don't want to be duped into zeke in any way possible that's not to say that he could be bad or he could be good he could be good he could be bad he could score 21 touchdowns this year like that's in his range of outcomes but he kind of needs to do that 
that sort of thing in order to like elevate himself back up in the fantasy landscape based on the role that he currently uh, he's a lot like Clyde Edwards Larry he just kind of sucks now like he has no burst whatsoever <laughs> uh you know he's like uh he's Frank Gore now he's like just gonna compile and play 16 17 games and finish as a top 15 running back Okay, I'm just going to save one of these names. So we have Jones, DeAndre Swift, Nick Chubb was the next name that was up. Would you go Javante Williams or Nick Chubb? Because I'm thinking about going Javante Williams. All this Melvin Gordon bringing back type stuff. I'm starting not to care. I want to go with the talent here. And that could be a, like that. If we're talking about a running back who could be drafted top five next year, that's still the guy. And people have now talked themselves out of him. Well, they talked themselves out of him because even if this backfield... Well, it, you're also talking about if this backfield gets to 60-40. I mean, you're, Melvin Gordon is just really not going to go away. Uh, I and, know that the Broncos... I don't, I don't think that he will. But I have him for 50% of the carries right now. It still makes him running back 11. See, I have him for... I can tell you where I have I have him right there. I'm actually at 49%, so I'm just behind you. But for me, that checks him in at running back. Where'd you have him? Because that checks him at running back 15 for me. It's 11 for me, but I slanted the touchdown market share in favor of Javante Williams over Melvin Gordon. I am, okay, so I have him seven and six. What do you have him? Uh, I have them. Rushing. Rushing. Rushing only? Javante Williams, yes. 10 touchdowns, Melvin Gordon. There you go. Yeah, that's the difference. There, that's the difference Mel- right there. And Mel- I have Melvin Gordon, seven. No, and I have Javante Williams just for everybody out there. I have him for essentially twice as much passing game work as Melvin Gordon, which would be different than last year. So that's where I was going with this is that if the split becomes more pronounced and I have him for, I do have him for more carries too. I have him for 55 more carries. So the split is becoming significantly higher for me, but that still involves Melvin Gordon 40% of the time. So that 60, 40 split for me, checks him at 15. It just comes down to the touchdowns, which I mean, three touchdowns for any running back is going to move you half a tier. So for all this being said, I have Nick Chubb over Javante Williams. But for the argument that seems to be a lot of these running backs that we're having, if you told me who's more likely to finish top five, 10 times out of 10, I would take Javante Williams because we've even seen Nick Chubb at his peak best. It's just not going to involve everything. There's always going to be somebody involved in the passing game. There's concern like Nick Chubb peaks out in about seven, eight at best case. Uh, Javante Williams has that top five upside. And a lot of people, including myself, before Melvin Gordon came back, had him inside the top six. And what I was going to say about the Broncos is they basically sat there and said, hey, anybody want to sign him? Anybody want to sign him? Uh, okay, I guess we'll bring him back. So I do think the split will be more pronounced. I just don't think it's going to go away completely. And we're similar in our situational roles, which is just a little bit different in the touchdown share. Uh, per last year's numbers, at least in terms of who were the good teams, who were the bad teams, the Broncos have the easiest schedule through, I believe it's eight games of the season to open then the hardest schedule over the final nine games of the season. So Javante might be, if he gets off to a real hot start, might be like the cell of nah. all cells. No, like, if <laughs> nah, we get, throw it in the trash. If we get through uh, three or four weeks uh, of the season and Javante Williams, like the number two running back, it'd be like, whoa. Probably a good time to sell high. I'm, I'm th- and I don't even know if I had Javante Williams, if I would have the guts to do that. But I'm just saying now as a neutral observer, knowing what I know, that is 100% the move that people won't do. It, it won't, but I'm also like, so strength of schedule for me, take that zero. And I know that's not what you're saying, but even facing running back positionally at this point of the year for the first couple of weeks, sure. If we're talking second half of the season, 
bring back that big fat zero because it changes and you know this and i'm not saying anything and i'm not coming for pat for everybody out there everybody knows this it's like i'm just not going to do it and i'm not going to concern myself with that because we've seen in season teams go from bottom five to top five and top five to bottom five there was one year that i always reference i think it was 2018 or somewhere around there the giants and the saints flipped the giants and the saints passing wise for only the passing game again i'm not talking about strength of schedule only passing-wise, the Saints were at the bottom, the Giants were at the top. The second half of the season, it was complete opposite because remember that year? That was the year everybody was like, oh, Julio Jones faces the Saints in weeks 14 and 16. And we got to the second half of the season, it was like, oh, crap, that's not a great thing anymore. That's a really bad thing. No, when I try to think of strength of schedule, it's a lot like when I try to predict the wind in golf. All I can really do is take whatever is the closest thing to me and then hopefully it works out after that and we all get lucky. It does seem like Denver has a very easy schedule to at least the first month of the season. And we're going to be wrong about some of these teams, obviously. You know, we're arguing about fantasy players for a living. We're not just retired on an island because we know exactly what's going to happen. But the closest stuff to us is the most predictable stuff, at least in terms of what we think we can know about the season. What's What week 16, week 17... Who knows what week eight is? Who knows? But in that part, you have to think Denver is going to be favored in a lot of these games. That's conducive to a very high running situation. And if we do get a Javante more so used, especially at the goal line over Melvin Gordon, it could just over inflate what his baseline likely is for the rest of the season. That's why I would say that the sell high proposition would become pretty good, especially if you have like if Derrick Henry struggles or something like that, you know, people okay. go like Derrick Henry's washed, you know, and he has like, it's only because he didn't score any touchdowns or something like that. He's averaging like 23 carries a game for like 98 yards a game. He just scored one touchdown over four games. And Javante Williams is like the guy you might be wrong. And Javante Williams might be smoking him the rest of the season, but just mm-hmm. looking at it objectively, you're like, well, these two things probably come back to level. I can flop this guy for this guy and probably another piece at this moment. I feel like people are so afraid to be wrong about that sort of trade early on that it mm-hmm. kind of screws them later in the year. And that's a really good point and a really good way to look at it. We talk about this, uh, you and I do. I talked about it with Jeff too. There's a lot of people who will draft, will go back to AJ Dillon's and they'll draft AJ Dillon. And then, you know, they won't want to sell or they would the two ways they go about it is they won't want to sell. Even if the split is all of a sudden 80, 20 at the beginning of the season, it's like, oh my God, AJ Dillon's not even a factor anymore. It's just like, oh my God, could you imagine whatever? And if somebody still wants to offer them like what, you know, a fifth round value pick, they're like, no, 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 no. Cause I can imagine, I don't want to give up on what I cost to spend uh, AJ Dillon in my draft. I don't want to give up on him yet. And then conversely, They'll draft them, and because Aaron Jones isn't hurt through week four, they'll drop him. In some, like You'll see guys like that. They're like, oh, well, Aaron Jones is healthy. I don't need him anymore. And then all of a sudden, Aaron Jones gets hurt in week seven, and then what, what the hell did you draft him for? So all these, the what you're talking about when it comes to trades, all these things are at play, and that's a good point. With Javante Williams, the way that we've kind of described him, it feels like he should be back-to-back with DeAndre Swift in the roles that they occupy within their offenses. And honestly, I'm not even though I have Swift full half tier in front of him, I'm not going to disagree with you because the only difference in our projections and your my situation is just the touchdown share. You give Javante Williams that touchdown. Honestly, here I'll tell you real quick. I'll, I'll even flip them and give them Javante Williams the ten and Melvin Gordon drop him off three, and I'll tell you that might even pass. Let's see, and then update, and now Javante Williams. Actually, he's not even he's in front of DeAndre Swift and Dalvin Cook. Interesting. 
Okay. I I mean, I would still oh, take Swift over Williams, I think, but I think I need to have them back-to-back because I think that they're very close for me, which would bump him above Nick Chubb in the way that we're doing these tiers. Elvin Kamara. Yeah. He is going hmm. – let me look this up right now, what his ADP is, because it doesn't feel like it's a – it's a value as of yet. Kamara, of yet. <laughs> pick number 30. Same as James Conner, basically. Same as Travis Etienne. I'd say that's a value. Only because the last two weeks specifically. Only because the last two weeks, there's a lot of people starting to say it's too late in the game. Probably not going to see a suspension until 2023. A lot do, of people that do you think that's Do you think that's true? Trust. I didn't a month ago, but the more people say it, this is, is what I'll say. This is like uh, when we see beat reporters talking about training camp stuff. You see one beat reporter be like, oh, my God, you should have seen practice today. Alexander Mastin was showing out. He's going to push Dalvin Cook, and it's one guy. And you're like, eh, okay, it's one guy. But then you start to get four, five, six, seven guys, and you're like, oh, my God, every single day Alexander Mastin's pushing for like a 50-50 share with Dalvin Cook. What the hell is happening? Like, we might be concerned, blah, blah, blah. The more people you hear say it, and the more people like reiterate the same thing we've heard from one person, you start to take a little bit more notice. I, I don't want to say you completely dismiss a one or two person report, but that's how I'm treating this. At first, I was like, you know, oh, Alvin Kamara might not be suspended for 2022. It's like, eh, okay, sure. I, I guess that's a slim possibility. But there's been four or five, six people that are now starting to say, it's getting late in the game. The NFL doesn't have a lot of time to make a move on this. This might be 2023, especially when they want to gather more information, blah, 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 blah. Uh, so I'm thinking it's becoming more and more likely that, we, and then if we even do, I don't even know if it's six or eight games now at this point. Like if we do, it might be two or four. Uh, so I'm st- at that point, I think Alvin Kamara is now a value. I would take Alvin, if it was my team, because again, we're talking about this, Pat, you want to be in first place. I want to be in first place. I don't want fourth place. I would take him in the middle, late round two at this point now. So this is how the ranking will have to occur for right now, is that it's leaning towards that he may not be suspended with the possibility that he could be suspended six to eight games. That's still looming out there, but that's becoming less and less likely. And that's how I want to fuse this ranking into it. Because I think this needs to come as we're speaking through this right now, that we need to come up with some sort of parameters about where the ranking falls. Because we said he's suspended zero games. Obviously that's going to affect his ranking versus a looming possibility of him missing potentially half the season. So where does he go then? Right. Like, would you rather have Kamara knowing that he still could be suspended, likely not, or DeAndre Swift? Ooh, that's, I'd probably slightly lean Kamara, and that's even with some of my concerns that he's just never going to see even 80% of the passing game work when he had with Drew Brees. Uh, even though Jameis Winston made smarter decisions last year the accuracy actually dropped which was a good thing because the accuracy dropped a little bit but that's because he wasn't throwing interceptions <laughs> because normally he'd be trying to throw those balls into coverage also Jameis winston didn't have a lot of talent he was throwing the traquan smith mark west callaway for most of the year all that being said you still now have jarvis landry you have drafting of the lave whether or not michael thomas is out there there's more options and then again winston doesn't throw a ton to running backs to begin with he's not Taysom hill but we're just not going to see that volume volume from Drew Brees, even if Kamara is out there for 17 games. So I say that to say, even with that concern, and Kamara possibly only has 60 receptions, 55 receptions, I would still take him over DeAndre Swift. Okay. So he kind of bumps up to the top of this tier then. Like, is he a part, is, should he be a part of the Saquon, Joe Mixon, Cam Akers tier? Or is he the lead of the Aaron Jones, DeAndre Swift tier? I'd say he's the lead of that because of the concerns involved. Uh, even if he played 17 games, I just don't know that 
Kamara's ever going to be what we saw with Drew Brees ever yeah. again. Like just looking and at for, rightfully so. Just looking at the targets from last year to begin the year four six four zero before he went eight eleven four seven. Then even to end the year two six four six. Like that's not cutting it for what for what we expect from him. And he ran poorly on touchdowns. Like that should be said. He only had four rushing touchdowns last year on two hundred and forty carries. That He's, seems seems unlikely to happen again. It should be more than that. Right. Yeah, well, but then if you look at too, if you look at Alvin Kamara's career, especially for our fantasy value purposes, he's very—he's the epitome of touchdown reliance, and it's been all over the map. Yeah, until that one week when he scores six, and you're like, "Ooh, here we go!" <laughs> I won DraftKings. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Alvin. <laughs> Thanks for showing up. All right, so we bumped him to the top. That leads us with three more names I want to get through before we get out of here. Uh, and then we'll wrap everything up in part three of this show. Again, hit the description for the entire draft kit. And I want to do these in longer form so we can really hash out why we like these guys versus other guys. So it makes sense to people. And then other people just look at a list and be like, but I don't understand why you have this guy here. Yeah, you should watch the shows. We're talking through it. James Conner, Brees Hall, Travis Etchin. The more and more I hear about James Robinson, the more and more I'm really digging Etchin here. Well, because what is James Robinson coming back from? The thing that came Akers is never supposed to have come back from in the time that he did, and he's the outlier. So uh, and, and Cam Akers really... came back for three weeks and just had another eight months off. James Robinson has just the eight months off. Right. He hasn't even stepped on the field yet. And what it comes down to is we can talk about the fact that James Robinson was disrespected from a talent perspective coming out of college, the fact that he's an undrafted free agent, and then look at what he did. But if you're still evaluating player versus player – Etienne, Etienne, is a better running back. And what I look at here is something I actually talked about on the show yesterday with Scott Barrett is why I'm up on Trevor Lawrence this year for a quarterback perspective inside my top 15 is because of how Doug Peterson and this team is now building this offense is in Trevor Lawrence's skill set is he's very accurate, throws open windows. Let's not send people downfield, let's hit the running back, let's hit these guys. They bring in Evan Ingram, and kind of similar to Doug Peterson's old Eagles, where like almost nobody on the team goes for a 1,000 eclipsed yards, but yet you get 4,000 uh, yards and 30-something touchdowns because it's just a very balanced offense, including especially the pass-catching running back. And that's why I look at ETN and I say, man, I'm at 20. Finish inside top 15, I think, is well within the expectation. And if you finish inside the top 10 at the end of the year, I wouldn't look back and say, man, we were crazy. Like, I would just say, oh, I, that, that makes sense. I haven't projected four. Let's see here. Where are you at? ETN. ETN. No, it's Etienne. It's a Francais name. Mm. Come on now, people. Uh, 72 catches on 90 targets. And he, I think he could have what do you have? What do, what do you have for rushing? 148 and 650. <laughs> It's, this is so funny to me. We have almost the identical total touches, but I have for more rushes and fewer receptions. <laughs> yeah, and I think he could eclipse. But I, think, I can see I, your I, scenario. I think he could eclipse. I can both see the high numbers. on both. Yeah, yeah. I can see the high on both. I can see him getting 180 rushes and which like 70 receptions, and all of a sudden he finishes with 250 touches and 250 touches with ETN, even only scoring three touchdowns in a miserable year. Somehow ridiculous because the offense is still struggling. I mean, 250 touches for a running back of his talent is going to put him inside the top 50. Etienne or, or James? 50, 15. Yeah, yeah. Etienne or James Conner? I'm still is, taking James Conner. Okay, so you think that James Conner is markedly better than David Montgomery and Ezekiel Elliott? Yes. Okay. Is he better than Nick Just Joe? because... No. But James Conner is the same as Ezekiel Elliott. It's just it's the touchdown reliance, but here's the thing. 
you go through the depth charts and what you talked about Tony Pollard, Tony Pollard is a significant improvement over anybody in Arizona, even Williams. Uh, Williams has been fine, but Williams is a replaceable running back. That's why yeah, he's you know I, I, dancing I, around his back. If I if I was to say that one of these Arizona guys were is going to chip away at James Conner, it would be you know Benjamin. I don't know that he doesn't get surpassed by Ingram, the rookie. But either way, it's that pass catching role. That's the concern with James Conner is that they keep that Chase Edmonds pass catching role for whoever else is involved. And the big uh, the upside for Williams is if he stays on this team and James Conner, as has happened many times in his career, gets hurt. You would say it's going to be Williams. It's not going to be you know Benjamin. It's not going to be Ing- like those guys aren't going to be the lead. It would end up being Williams, and that's the play for Williams, who's a free ticket right now in the end of drafts. But you're right, the, and the concern with James Conner is that. But the good news about him, similar to Zeke Elliott, they get inside the ten, especially inside the five, and it's hand off to James Conner eight hundred times until he scores. I see that. I think I would rather shoot for upside with Etienne rather than go with James Conner. That might mean they're back-to-back in the rankings, but I'll have Etienne at the bottom of the tier above and Conner at the top of the next tier, which leads us sure. with, I want to say, three more names. <laughs> Brees Hall, who is unsigned to Brees Hall. This should be fun. Nope, I, signed yesterday. Oh, oh, he did end up signing. Good. Good for him. Yes. Um, <laughs> I am not drinking this Kool-Aid like everyone else is. I'm just not. I, I will oh, be I so wrong on Brees Hall, or I can just be like, these are the fucking shitty Jets. Like, what are we doing here? <laughs> so, uh, wait, you mean Tim hasn't got you turned around on Brees Hall yet? Where's Tim have Brees Hall? Top five? Uh, yeah, at, at he, least? he's already just touting me like lock rookie of the year. So that's not good <laughs> okay. news for him. Like, why Why is he be- why is Brees Hall better? Why is Brees Hall better than David Montgomery, for example? So... Because he's a better running back than David Montgomery. So do, do, here's do what we I'm going to We're wrong about evaluations all the time. We are all the time. But it, uh, it's like from an evaluation standpoint, he's a better running back than David Montgomery. Like, again, we could be wrong. We've been wrong about other running backs, wide receivers, to quarterbacks. Like, you know, for all intents and purposes, if we wrote the book, if the world ended today, Pat, the world would end with everybody in the history of football was wrong on Trevor Lawrence. So, you know, that's, again, there's, there's more to see here. But Brees Hall, better talent. Of course, could be wrong about that. But let's take it down to this. Is I keep saying this. The fact that they moved up two spots and got worried about not getting Brees Hall, two. I'd be less concerned that he's taking over Michael Carter than if they moved up 15 and just saw value on the board. They moved up two spots to say, damn, we're getting Brees Hall. We're not going to make sure he's not going to make it two picks and somebody doesn't trade in front of us. Brees Hall versus Michael Carter. You know I love Michael Carter. But to bring in James Conner to this conversation, I think this is going to fall to the Arizona backfield where Brees Hall gets that kind of work. Michael Carter's still involved, but now falls into the 30% pass-catching primary role. And if you look at Javante Williams last year, who was a 50-50 split, was RB17. Even if I'm wrong, and it's only a 50-50 split, Javante Williams, Brees Hall, similar running back, talent, not exactly player for player, but talent and upside on these teams. 50 for 50, RB17, without Russell Wilson on a terrible offense because it was a Drew Locke, Teddy Bridgewater offense, the, the Jets just need to be last year's Broncos with a 50-50 split, and Brees Hall is going to be inside the top 20. The upside is much greater if it's 60-65%, and that's where I love some Brees Hall. ETN or Bryce Hall? Or Brees Hall, sorry. Br- Brees Hall. Nah. Barely. Pass. Barely. Pass for me on that one. But I can round out this other tier with Brees Hall. Rather than ETA. Well, I mean, you do have me hesitating now that you said he's a lock for rookie of the year by Tim. I mean, that immediately right there should point enormous concern for everybody. 
Uh, I think people are too low on Josh Jacobs this year. Uh, they're factoring in way too much what Kenyon Drake is going to do into this offense. I don't believe that Josh McDaniels is going to run the Belichick type of offense. Josh Jacob is their best back. And when he started being utilized in the passing game last year, he was actually quite good from a fantasy perspective. He's not on that tier four. He's the tier five with Connor Montgomery and Elliott. But I think that he is the lead of that tier. I actually like him more than I like James Connor based on what, and I, here's think that, what I think that role is going to be, which leaves us with only one name left to put in. Hello. Completely agree with you on J- Josh Jacobs because the other thing I was going to say is Kenyon Drake. That was the Gruden thing. Gr- Gruden wanted Drake, and as soon as Gruden was gone, Drake's opportunities were mostly gone too. So yeah, 100% agree with you on that one. Who's you know, the last one? You know what? I'm going to split up that tier. I'm. Well, I'll tell you how I've split up this tier. I felt like that well, that tier four was too big. It's going to be tier four and tier five. I'm going to mesh in the top of the other. Who tier. haven't we mentioned? Dobbins. Jake Dobbins. Who I'm out. Don't want him. I was very solidly, supremely in on J.K. Dobbins. This is one where I say the more people who say it, I'm going to start paying attention. It was kind of floated a month or two ago. It was like, hey, just so you know, the reports have Gus Edwards ahead of J.K. Dobbins. You know, make sure you're paying attention. And then it started getting more aggressive. And now it's like, ooh, J.K. Dobbins isn't even getting on the field yet. But Gus Edwards is, and we get more and more. And I know Rappaport got blasted by Dobbins and he called him out and but like whatever. But it's like, it's including inside injuries. It's including Dr. Chat. Like everybody is starting to say J.K. Dobbins is a concern for week one. And this is from somebody who loves some J.K. Dobbins. He's in my top five breakout running backs article. I'm hesitant as you are. I moved him to, I initially had J.K. Dobbins right there with like Aaron Jones, Antonio Gibson. Josh Jacobs, like Adam in that group. Now for me, he's even behind Damian Harris. He will be behind Damian Harris for me as well. I'm just looking at this roster, and it's kind of hilarious to think that this is the year that Mike Davis is actually the good fantasy player. Oh my God, don't! It, I just hey, it, you remember the years? Remember the years where you said it and you were right, and it was always draft. Just, it was the, all, like the it was, third it was, Ravens yeah, running all, back. It was always draft like the biggest scrub, but who's old that the Ravens have, and it always inevitably <laughs> Justin always just set for the championship. Yeah, yeah Alanis Forsett <laughs> always came through for you. And just looking at this roster, Mike Davis is that guy, and there'll be no rhyme or reason. And you'll see like Justice Hill come back in. He'll look great, but like, no, no, no. We need to give Mike Davis like 17 touches in this game. Don't worry about it. Because that's what the Ravens do. Under, is- understanding what certain coaching staffs do, people don't factor that into anything. It's like, well, he's not very good. And I know I just said that about Clyde Edwards-Alaire, but at least we have a proven track record of him not use, being used in the best possible case way because he's not very good. There's a reason that they keep bringing in other players with him. With the Ravens, it's going to go Gus Edwards, J.K. Dobbins, then Mike Davis. J.K. Dobbins might not start the year, and when I talked to Dr. Morse, Dobbins and Edwards were two of the highest five running backs this season for re-injury, if it was going to happen, based on the injuries they sustained in the timetables. Who's that leave? Mike Davis for no apparent reason. <laughs> last you know, last year, wait, wait. Tyson Williams looked so much better than Le'Veon Bell and Devonta Freeman. Who'd they use, Jake? Who'd they use? I was just going to say, if we could flash back to drafts last year, fifth, sixth round of people drafting Mike Davis and tell them at that moment, watch them make the pick, myself included, in sixth round a lot of places, and and told you in your face, as soon as you made that pick, this is going to be a trash pick, you're going to want to drop the guy, but next year, he's going to be an RB1, you would be like, flashing F-bombs all over the place. Just saying, that's how this is going to turn out. So, 
let's recap the tiers. Here's what we got after adjusting around guys at. I'm trying to think if anybody might get cut from a team somewhere that can end up on the Ravens. Oh, 100%. And it'll be like someone who like sucks. It'll be like Raheem Mostert. He like can't... Sony Michelle doesn't make the Miami Dolphins because they have 8,000 running backs and Michelle comes over and all of a sudden runs for 1,200 yards and 10 touchdowns. That is very much in the realm of possibility. I'm, I'm not against that happening. So Savan Achman, <laughs> the Dolphins cut him instead. Oh, he's, he seems like a perfect Raven. Oh, I can't catch? Okay, well, you, can, you can be on the Ravens. No problem. <laughs> McCaffrey, Jonathan Taylor, Derek Henry, Najee Harris, Austin Eckler. Those are the top five. Fournette, Cook, Mixon, Barkley, Akers. That's the next five. That's tier three. Tier four, Kamara, Aaron Jones, Swift, Javante Williams, Nick Chubb. Tier five, Travis Etchin, Brees Hall, Josh Jacobs, James Conner, David Montgomery, tier six, and this is still a bit iffy because I have Zeke, Antonio Gibson, AJ Dylan, Hot Fire, and Damian Harris. I think I would actually draft Dylan and Damian Harris over Zeke. I'd probably have, I'm moving Zeke to the back of this tier. I don't mm-hmm. fucking want Zeke. No, thank you, Zeke. And then Kareem Hunt, <laughs> Tony, pa- Kareem Hunt, Tony Pollard, Clyde Edwards-Alaire are on this next tier potentially. Uh, that's where we're going to end it today because we have other names like Dobbins to put back in, Miles Sanders, Chase Edmonds, Devin Singletary, who I think are all on that level. What order are they go in? That's for next time, Jake. Mm, that's that's. We'll have to finish that off, and maybe we'll have some clarity on this backfield and see who else. Try bring back Mark Ingram. He's too busy with the Saints. No, I know. I just for you purposes. I just want. I want to find a world where we can get you back in on Mark Ingram again. I'm back. Hey, listen. I, I was back in on him like three weeks ago when I thought that Camaro was going to be suspended for eight games and still no one was drafting I know, Mark Ingram. But that, I was like, that's, now it's changed. That, that seems logical to draft him. Maybe he did steroids <laughs> yeah. in the off season again. Make himself better. Yep, I'm with you. Uh, Rashad Penny. Do you think he'll? Do you like Rashad Penny? I have Ken Walker in front of him. You do, okay. Which keeps changes. Yeah, keeps changing his name. Don't call me Kenny. Don't call me Kenneth. Now it's just Ken Walker. Like, just make up your mind, dude. Ken, whatever Kendo it might be. Walker, like a kendo stick that Steve Blackman used to have. <laughs> I think they drafted Ken Walker to be Chris Carson, and that Rashad Penny is going to be Rashad Penny. Like Rashad, you know, I was waiting for. I got tweeted. People knew I was waiting for Rashad Penny to finally hit and be a thing. It was the most glorious few weeks of my life, and I had him in a few leagues. That being said. I think they know that the Seahawks aren't stupid. They were forced into that situation. They don't want Rashad Penny to be a 20-touch-per-game guy. I think this is another team. I know I keep referencing the Broncos, but it's a copycat league, and why wouldn't the Broncos do, you know, why wouldn't the Seahawks just do what the Broncos did? Uh, And then Kenneth Walker, Ken Walker splits with Rashad Penny in a very similar role, more rushes for Walker, more passing game work for Penny. But I would have them in the 20s and 30s, respectively, because that offense is going to be um, – that probably is a bottom five offense this year. At All In Kid on Twitter. At TheAthletic.com is where you can find his work. Jake Seeley, thanks for being on, man. I always enjoy it. Congratulations, Nando DeFino. Third baby yesterday. What? I didn't know that. Yeah. Third Shout baby into the world. Shout out to my former boss, Mr. Nando DeFino. Great dude. Love Nando. You're boss yes. currently. Well, I guess not for the next like, yes. sabbatical leave or however long he's off. <laughs> for a couple months. <laughs> yeah, you can go crazy. Well, Nando's out. <laughs> Although it feels like... Way, he, I think I, we go crazier when Nando's yeah, around. I was going to say, I, I feel like he would encourage the craziness. Now you're like, whew, don't need to be so crazy anymore. Uh, no. you, can t- 
Check out the entire free draft kit down in the description. You get a link to all of the shows. We're going to continue pumping them out twice a week until we start doing three times a week, then four times a week, then five times a week. I believe the me, Cust, and Jeff shows are returning within two weeks' time. Uh, we're start going to do our quarterback rankings, our AFC win totals, and then you know the season will be here, and we'll have a ton of laughs. Remember to sub to Mayo Media Network on the way out. Smash the like, and I will see you next time. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.